Welcome to They Came From Outer Space, a radio program where we talk to filmmakers and buffs about their favorite sci-fi film and how it relates to their own work and today's wild world. I'm filmmaker Cameron Kitt, known here on WIR as DJ Lilas, and you're listening to WIRLP 97.3 FM. I'm here today with filmmaker Aaron Bartuska to talk about M. Night Shyamalan's 2002 sci-fi horror film, Signs. No Gills was in here talking about the end of the world. They're staying in the shadows. It's called probing to make sure things are all clear. Clear for what? For the rest of them. There's a monster outside my room. Can I have a glass of water? Ground forces are being assembled. It's happening. Don't be afraid. Hello. For those who don't know Aaron Bartuska, he's a filmmaker from Philly, currently based in New York City. He graduated from Drexel University with a BFA in film in 2019, and his feature film, For Roger, a slow burn horror film that takes place mostly in DV cam footage of a young couple, has now been featured in 10 festivals and accepted to three more, which is so awesome. Uh, and it's also, I think, was highlighted at UK's Grim Fest. Um, his Twitter bio includes the phrase M. Night Shyamalan apologist. And thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Yes, that sets us up for what we're going to talk about today. That's um, that's all you have to know about me, honestly. <laughs> I mean, I have to say, watching it again, there's so much of his like craft that is so strong. So Definitely. many. He's not shots. subtle at all. <laughs> no, and he makes sure you get it. And like, mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, I'm only mixed feelings, but I am here to say I really enjoyed watching this movie again. So if you haven't seen Signs, you really missed a cultural phenomenon. This was the year 2002. It was the same year War of the Worlds came out. There was a huge shift in the way that our, our culture was being made, especially with films relating to aliens, um, because it was right after 9-11, which we'll get into that. But if you haven't seen this movie, we are going to spoil it. And that's a pretty big taboo for Shyamalan movies. So if you want to go watch it, please watch it now. Come back and listen to it on Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. But some studies show that light spoilage actually increases your enjoyment. So I recommend sticking around, listening to it. If you haven't seen Signs, maybe this will make you want to. What can make geometric shapes the size of a football field? What kind of machine can bend a stock of corn over without breaking it? Can't be by hand. It's too perfect. So when you talk to people about this movie, are there a lot of people who haven't seen it? Um, yeah, the the general reaction is usually, oh, yeah, I haven't seen that. Or it's, oh, the one with the water. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, it's the one with mm-hmm. the water. But like, what, what we don't realize is that this movie was huge. Like this movie mm-hmm. was a big hit, especially in America. Um, so I'm going to tell you guys about it. Released in 2002 by Touchstone, Signs was written and directed by M. Night Shyamalan, and it follows a former preacher, Graham Hess, played by Mel Gibson, raising his two children after his wife's tragic death with the help of his former baseball playing brother, played by Joaquin Phoenix. When the cornfield around their farm starts getting a little spooky, our disillusioned daddy starts to question whether we are really alone in the universe. Aliens are invading, but more importantly, will Graham Hess regain his faith? Did you coin the term disillusioned daddy? I did. I, Is that you, they just all keep, you? Wow. They keep saying father in this movie, and it's very funny. <laughs> yeah. Well, it is the mo- it is probably my favorite dad performance of all time. He he does a really good job. He's very vulnerable. 
And I think yeah. it's. Can we refer to him as Melly Gibbs? Is that Melly okay? Gibbs. Melly Gibbs. We can call yeah. him Melly. Yeah, Melly Gibbs. Melly Gibbs is cool. serving a lot of 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 like crystallized like uh, tears in the eye scenes. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of strong tears in the eye moments. A lot of vulnerability. A lot of like slow slow zooms in on his face as he's processing. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I just want to ask you, Aaron, why did you choose this movie? Why is this movie important to you? Uh, I, well, so uh, this movie is probably if if someone asked me to pick the most important movie to me, uh, this is the one that would come to my mind first. It might not be the one I would say, but it's definitely the one that would come to my mind first, uh, and that's for a few reasons. Uh, I grew up uh in Princeton, New Jersey area, but had a lot of family in Bucks County, PA. Uh, if you know anything about Shyamalan, he is a Philly filmmaker through and through, and. Uh, signs takes place in bucks county and was also shot in bucks county and one of my earliest memories it's one of those you know could be a memory could be a thing i've been told a lot and formed into a memory but i know it happened uh i was out to lunch with my aunt and my grandma uh in bucks county and there was all this commotion going on and apparently they were making a movie and it was called signs and it was like this big deal and I didn't really know what was going on. I just remember it being like a big thing. Cut to a year later. Uh, you know, again, like you said, this was the biggest film ever when it came out. So uh, my family promptly got the VHS. Um, and it was on repeat for me. Uh, I would just watch this movie over and over again. To, As to, a kid, to the... it's, it's so scary. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, I I loved it. It got me into aliens. It got me into movies as a whole. Mm -hmm. It was the first time I ever, the first time I was ever like, oh my God, these things up on this box are like made by someone. I saw this being made and now I'm watching it on a TV. It's not just like images that that appear in front of me. Um, So I really do attribute that as as the first time I I ever knew what film was that I might want to do it. Um, and yeah, then I dove into all of Shyamalan's other films, grew up, grew up on those first four, those first yeah. four are like big, yeah. even, even if I'm not like the village is not great, but I do it's truly think good. that the first, it's still kind of good. I tr- like, I truly think his first three are like perfect movies. Even when they're bad, they're good. That's what I'm realizing is like, he has yeah. such, he has such strong craft, good writing. Even in this film, he acts and I was like, so ready to shred him for it. And like his performance is solid. Like I couldn't say, I'm like, I, yeah. can't, I can't say anything about his performance. I was like, dang it. Like you want to come for it. Yes, there are some things about this movie that I have personal, I have like a personal story behind it that like, you know, I watched this, I was forced to watch this at youth group after being told that Halloween mm. was evil. So I have a lot of negative emotions towards this film. Also, it scared me so much that I was angry at it. Right. Like I was like mad for Pretty being horrifying. scared. Yeah, like, and just now yeah. rewatching it, there, that there's a scene where an alien hand comes out from the grate. I screamed so loud just now, so like, mm. you got to give him props, right? That so, but it's just so cool that you got to have that experience of like as a young kid witnessing a film set and then seeing a movie and having that connection be made and like recognizing the beauty. Like I was just walking down Graham Avenue yesterday and seeing a film being shot, and there's 30 people around just to make this one mm. small scene happen, and most people don't realize how much work goes into it. So. It's just cool yeah. you had that experience, Aaron. Oh yeah, it was great. And one and one of the one of the best uh, uh, privileges in my life was I actually uh, got to tell Shyamalan that that like this story. I met him at like a uh, Philadelphia tax credit 
rally where they were just trying to, you know, get more funding for films to be shot in Philly. And I just like went up to him and I told him exactly what I just told you. And and then he like shouted me out in his speech, like in front of everyone. It was like the coolest like moment of my entire life. And now you're trying to make him proud with your film. Am I right? I'm trying to make, I'm, I'm using every Shyamalan trick in the book with this, <laughs> the film I just made. And I think Four Rogers really solid. Have you sent it to him? No, I don't know how to get it to him. I, I, the one thing he said to me, he, the one thing he said to me after he shouted me out in his speech, I went up to him and I like thanked him and he was like, bring me a movie, man. And I was like, I don't know how much you mean that, but I'm going to do it. He did ask. <laughs> he did. He did he ask. Asked. I don't know how to get it in front of him, man. All right. Well, if anyone knows how to get in touch with M. Night Shyamalan, when we give you, when you hint, tell us your deets at the end of the story, maybe they can reach out to you. All right. So yes, I assume you recently rewatched it, right? Yes. Watched it yesterday. What stood out to you on this most recent rewatch? Well, so I, I've seen it a lot in, in my life. I show it to anyone who tells me they haven't seen it. I'm probably going to sit you down and watch it with you. And <laughs> nine times out of 10, they're disappointed. And That's I'm like, yeah, but do you see why I like it? <laughs> um, but okay, so so a couple things stood out to me. The the main thing, man, and I can't I can't stress this enough that this is like top three scores for a movie, I think, ever. And it's three notes, and it's so good. James Newton Howard, man, oh, has such really a control good. over his orchestra, man, and like, oh, I. Every, uh, just when it starts and it's so genius how it starts too Shyamalan loves Hitchcock and like just from the first note and it's just like the credits and it, uh, it literally the first piece of music is only two minutes long but it gives you every single motif that's going to be used throughout the rest of the score and like you can almost break it down into 10 second chunks that's just like oh this is the scene at the dinner table the and, family oh, light the motif scene with, with, the faith yeah, light motif with, the one for the so, daughter. I, yeah. yeah, that's. I, I think when you get into that, that definitely gives you a lot. I will say the score added a tremendous amount of value and tension, right? The score mm-hmm. controls how yeah. I feel about tension. Um, in an interview with M. Night Shyamalan, the guy who was interviewing him, he's like a wired NPR interviewer, said, a few years ago, I told James Newton Howard that Signs is the best score he ever wrote. And he just said, I disagree. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so it seems I mean, the like guy only everybody, used three notes. I think everybody wants to hate on this movie. So that's why I'm so intrigued that you're like, out here trying to rally behind it and give it some value for the rewatch. I will say the rewatch value is definitely for the fear factor. But then M. Night got got into like, okay, here's how he walked through him with the score. He's like, as we do on all of our movies, I walk through the storyboards with him. I'll walk through the movie frame by frame, every single shot. And then she does this and then the camera does this. It's underlining this and it takes hours and hours. By the time I'm done, my throat's parched. I perform the whole movie from beginning to end. The idea is that James comes from the screenplay and the material and can you write a suite of music for that? So we're coming from the purest source material, not necessarily reacting to the movie, but what I was inspired from. I thought that was really cool. So yeah. I want to talk about the score in relation to your movie. But before we talk about score, tell us kind of what's the plot of For Roger? Oh, yeah. Okay. So uh, For Roger is about uh, our lead character, Roger. Uh, he goes to uh, his family vacation home after his uh girlfriend slash fiance passes away god this is just signs anyway uh he 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 goes to his family vacation cabin and like uh just to like sort things out in his head uh you know the, the the grieving process uh we all do it in our own way and so that's what he does he goes there and starts watching through their old 
mini DV tapes that they used to record. This is, I should have mentioned, is like early 2000s. But yep. uh, they recorded all these tapes on their vacations. So he starts watching through those, you know, reminiscing, you know, just like making himself feel like crap. <laughs> uh, and as he's doing this, he realizes a few things about the relationship that he might not have noticed earlier on. Um, uh, that it wasn't all it was, uh, uh, all it seemed to be. And also he realizes that someone has been watching them from the woods for years. And thus the, the present day plot begins. I've never learned how to summarize this movie. I can't give an elevator pitch for this movie and I already made uh, it, but, <laughs> uh, recently grieved fiance relives memories and dv camera only to discover that he's being he he and his wife his girlfriend have been watched for years you did it that's pretty good you didn't work disillusioned daddy into it though so there's no disillusioned daddies in this movie um but boy (laughs) melly gibbs serves disillusioned daddy in this movie there's so much Mm -hmm. father 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 please and he's like i'm not a father anymore he's really lost his faith so this movie is about like experiencing these global events through the lens of the single dad and also through the lens of a family but we were talking about score um tell me what your process was for the score for for roger uh right well i actually kind of lucked out for roger was my senior project at drexel and uh so everyone just kind of wanted to help me out for a grade they wanted to help me out you know just because i had the idea and i was they could tell i was passionate about it and we all wanted to work on something together but the grade didn't hurt um so my one friend was just like hey I kind of want to take a shot at the score like would you let me I want to like build up my portfolio and just like, try me. this out and I was like yeah I was like yeah I mean come on I was gonna have I to, to pay. pay someone yeah <laughs> so he was like uh yeah yeah let me give it a shot I was like all right man uh once we have a cut we can start going through it and he had written a couple motifs early on uh, I gave him like a rough 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 cut and he just like made that that main theme the drive up theme and then started working on the on the whole chase sequence sort of part because we knew that was going to be the hardest to crack um and then the pandemic happened uh and everything kind of got thrown out of whack uh and then so the rest of our score meetings were over over zoom and he would just like send me new stuff we'd listen to it together see how the scene worked talk talk through it he would play some stuff for me um and I actually did tell him to listen to the score for signs because uh, I was like, I, I like this. The motifs keep happening throughout the entire film. And I love that. I love that. It, you, you know, it's a different key. It's different instruments, whatever. But it's the same, uh, the same bum, 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 you know, like just like that kind of thing keeps appearing. Um, and I really liked that idea. Definitely lifted that from this movie. Um, and yeah, I just think he did a, a, a knockout job and now he, he's a multi, a Will Danola, multi-talented guy. We're actually writing a feature together right now. So that's so cool. going to be a collaborator for life. You mentioned making it in the pandemic. Um, mm-hmm. it's definitely been a challenge for a lot of filmmakers. Uh, how did that affect the set? Um, well, so actually we, we, the set we wrapped in February of 2020 so we got done right what what the shooting schedule was we shot all the mini dv tape stuff in july of 2019 uh then we shot the whole narrative in october of 2019 and then reshoots in february 2020 
So we actually didn't have any set um, in in the pandemic. If anything, we just had a a, a canceled uh, canceled rap party. <laughs> yeah, has it made the? I mean, you've still been able to go to festivals and stuff. Because for me, it's definitely affected the festival circuit experience. Mm-hmm. It's like oh, it it definitely has. Yeah, yeah, it it definitely has. I um, I was able to go to two festivals in person. Uh, and then the rest have been virtual or I just haven't like been able to make it up to you know, Toronto, you know, like right. it's been a little too far, but now the ones we just got accepted to are all, you know, things are calming down again. It seems, it seems like they're yep. going to be in person. So I might try to make it out. Um, we'll see if I'm able to, but yeah, it definitely did just like kind of throw a wrench in things just uh you know but it, it, everyone everyone literally everyone was affected by it so yeah you know, we've all, not... not getting to go to a festival isn't the worst but it's still like it, it rippled out to everything but i think watching yeah. this movie now is really interesting because there were a couple articles that were bringing it bubbling it back up to the top of the list talking about post 9-11 climate movies and how they're kind of relevant to what we're going through now this movie's 20 years old but movies like signs and war of the world's use the immediate threat of alien apocalypse to this is I'm reading from Beatrice Loyaza. They use the immediate threat of an alien apocalypse to echo with a grasping frenzy, the feelings of vulnerability that swept everyday life feelings that have returned with a vengeance during COVID-19 and the pandemic. So like alien movies hit really hard right after nine 11, right? This idea of being invaded, mm-hmm. which was like deep in the public conscious. We were no longer making movies like independence day where there's like fun Will Smith woohoos. We're making terrifying films about your family being attacked, right? Like, the, like the mm-hmm. tone completely changed. Um, yeah. And the interesting thing, I'm sure you know this, the most the most emotional scene of the movie is with Mel Gibson and his wife. They that was the first scene they shot, and that was three days after 9/11, right? So they're all like holding candlelight vigils, and then Mel Gibson and and the actors who plays his wife are interacting in a way where they're having their very last conversation, which is extremely relevant. To what had just mm-hmm. happened, right? So, like, all of that emotion is swirling around. Obviously, you guys didn't have... <laughs> I guess you didn't know that the pandemic would happen. But to me, when I'm watching... When I was watching For Roger, it felt very much reminiscent of, like, this idea of isolation. What we're going through and, like, grasping at memories. It, do, do you feel that way? Like, do you feel like it's tapping into something? Or do you think it's just coincidence? Well, I, I do think... Uh, I, I have to chalk a lot of it up to coincidence. We yeah. definitely, you know, had no idea what was going to happen. But I was thinking a lot about isolation and just... Uh, uh, in in particular, the isolation you feel after the loss of a loved one or a close friend. Um, yeah. And just trying to put that into a, into a space, if possible. And put that into, like, I don't know, more of a visual uh, motif. Um, but then, you know... We, we, the, all we had before the pandemic was a rough cut. So, and then we, I I think everyone took like a couple months off just to like, you know, be with their families and figure out what, what any of us were doing uh, in, in, in March, April, May, I think uh, my editor Gwen and I, uh, we started editing again in May and, you know, that was after two months of being stuck inside. So I do think in a couple ways that, that influenced the, it informed the edit that we ended up with, you know, we were a lot more comfortable sitting with these long shots and feeling uh, just like in, in this space and, and not, you know, wanting to, a lot of people don't like the, the, the pacing of the film, but I think it's slow burn. It really gets you, it is slow burn. I think it gets you used to that space. I think, you know, we return to a lot of those shots uh, that we Mm. show early on. So I I think the the one thing, 
the one thing I really wanted to do was just like give everyone the most accurate sense of space I could, you mm. know, cause once you're in there, then you're like, once you know the layout, then we can have some fun with the chase sequence. I think resisting the urge to do a lot of quick cuts because it's popular is hard, right? The hardest thing to do with your mm-hmm. film is to like make the choices that are specific to you and not what everyone else does, even if everyone else is saying it right to be courageous and mm-hmm. say, this is what I want to do in my gut. Cause every time you make a change, you're going to regret it. But I think it makes it scarier. Did you know in your mind that shooting on this DV cam was reminiscent of that like most scariest moment of signs or did you realize it later? Uh, probably. <laughs> I I mean, so I, I think Signs is one of the movies I had everyone watch uh, leading up to making this film. Obviously, there was like <laughs> Halloween, Blair Witch uh stop what (laughs) i just i love that you managed to get your crew to watch three different movies for you all together i think i got them to watch like five i think i got them to watch like five different movies that's amazing Uh, i think it was i think it was this is gonna sound so weird halloween blair witch signs gus van sant's last days and goodwill hunting i mean that all makes sense i just am really amazed at your control over these people's like free time I, I mean, you know, once you trap someone into watching a yeah. movie. Yeah. Okay. I have, I have questions. <laughs> I have questions about this cabin. But first, you're listening okay. to They Came from Outer Space here on WIR LP 97.3 FM. I'm Cameron Kitt, also known here on WIR as DJ Lilas. I'm here with Aaron Bartuska talking about signs. What's the matter? There's a monster outside my room. Can I have a glass of water? <laughs> Okay, where whose cabin is that? <laughs> uh, it's my ex-girlfriend's cabin. Oof. <laughs> <laughs> if we go into it, if we explain if we go the irony, we, is this explain the irony of that to the to the audience, to the listeners. Why is that so ironic? Um <laughs> well, okay, she was my girlfriend at the time and oh. um you know, she was very supportive of me making the film. There with me through every step of the process. Wow. Um which yeah, which was great. Uh the the moment I stepped foot in that cabin, I was like, can we can I please make a horror movie yeah. here? And it's, so we kind of like you, there's a lot of shots of the deer heads, right? Yeah. Oh, I love those deer, man. <laughs> those deer were awesome. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I kind of reverse engineered the film around having that location. Yeah, uh, I did the same knowing, thing. And, and yeah, yeah, you got you got to use your vacation or your, your locations that you have at your disposal. Getting permits and stuff is so tough and expensive. <laughs> but, um, and expensive, yeah. But so you know, uh, and her her dad is actually the one uh, the one other character in the movie in that first scene. I was like, it's it's her it's her dad's hunting lodge, and so I was like, you're letting us use this place for free. Like, you want to be in the movie? And he was like, sure. Um, so yeah, we just had full access to that. It was kind of like summer camp. We all would shoot for a few hours and then just like grab some beers and debrief and then start again the next day. And and you know, it was it was a lot of fun. It was like 25 people just sleeping in this cabin. So. Oh, that it was, it was so cool. fun. But yeah, it is a yeah. very like cinematic place, but it still manages to feel really hollow. And and Signs also takes place almost entirely in their farmhouse, right? It's very similar. It's like mm-hmm. it's all about the family home. And M. Night Shyamalan in uh, an interview where he's wearing a metal choker and two metal earrings and like a very tight red shirt that like is very clearly from the year 2003, <laughs> like his like outfit. He's like talking about how 
it's important to him to talk about these global events from the perspective of a family. And I think you probably know a lot of the stuff he wrote was pulled from his own family experience. Um, I don't know. Talk about that. What do you think about that? I mean, I think that's awesome. I've always, I, you know, I think there's something to, like you mentioned, the Independence Days that give you a full on fun, big scale version of an alien attack. I think that has its place. I think it's entertaining. I love Independence Day, but I'm much more privy to the the films that take this uh this this insane concept of like global uh you know invasion and look at it from the perspective of a few characters and like who who's ever made an alien movie before where we're just in one house for most of the film you know and i just think it's such a cool way to look at it just because and you also you don't really see the aliens until I mean the 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 VHS shot, I guess the mini DV shot, but um, also like you don't really get a full on shot of the alien until the in the last ten minutes of the movie, and I think that's awesome. It's using the Jaws rule, you know. It's it's and that's why Jaws works too. Yeah, We're on a boat it's, with it's these so three characters. Scarier. Yeah, it's so much scarier when you're just seeing the leg and a little teeny bit of the hand and a little teeny bit of the finger because your brain is filling in what's there in a way scarier way than the actual CGI alien could be, right? In yeah. 2002. So the movie is so scary when there's just a little hint, right? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 also interesting because like, you know, like there is a nighttime scene, but most of the horror takes place in the daytime too. Like there's a lot of things yes. that he does that are really different. There's a lot of like the use of light, the use of framing. I, like I kept there, I'm watching it and just kept being like, oh, it's such a good shot. Like uh, there's so much like good cinematography, great buildup. You talked about how people didn't like the pacing of your film, but the pacing of this movie is really strong because it starts strong. So in an interview, he's like, it starts with with our character waking up. Something's wrong. He goes out into the field. And as M. Night Shyamalan called it, he called it a James Bond action sequence to start the movie, right? They're running through the cornfield. This movie does not start slow. It goes right into it. And then right away, aliens are happening, right? Like the, And mm-hmm. I was so appreciative of that. Um, a lot of movies nowadays feel a license to be extra long and slow. But like you started your film as well with like a powerful kind of not horror, but like a tense moment. So talk about that decision how to start your film um yeah well when we were making the film we had no idea how we were gonna start it uh but then as we were watching the edit and uh just looking at the most effective moments of the film and getting to the uh the core of what we wanted the film to be about which is just like isolation in a relationship and then isolation in the grieving process um we tried to start the film off with a question And that question is, okay, we're seeing this old mini DV tape of an argument. And then we're seeing a woman left alone. And then we know that someone in this couple is not working the camera right now. So who is that? What's going on here? Um, And we thought that was a cool thing to start with. The initial opening of the film was like, we didn't even use it. We just had like a shot of a deer, (laughs) a shot of a deer and the sound of someone like walking into the cabin and it did not work at all. Um, But then just watching it that way and especially doing a test screening with that as the first shot, people were like, oh yeah, this got me wondering immediately. And then, you know, then you earn the three minutes of driving. (laughs) Well, the three minutes of driving is so beautiful because like it's like really locked into the car, but like the film doesn't 
quote pick up until it's two thirds way through. So you're asking an yeah. audience to to get invested in a relationship by telling them this is a horror movie, then you're gonna wait and then you get invested. What it reminded me of when you were like, I was getting really deep into the relationship dynamic is um Cloverfield. Because like I forgot it was a horror movie mm-hmm. for a little while because you're like so invested in their back and forth. And that was kind of like a same yeah. thing. I thought the acting was super strong. And that asking, you know, talking about like who was operating it. There are a couple times where, like, for instance, when they're at the beach and they're walking, where I, I started thinking about like, who is actually holding the camera? Did you have your actor who played Roger hold the camera or did you have someone else? Yeah, he pretty much held it the the entire time. I mean, we oh, did a bunch cool. of blocking and stuff, but mm-hmm. I was kind of uh leaving it up to him to make things look genuine uh and all, we huh. probably should give him given him a dp credit i was gonna say because <laughs> it's like 50 percent uh, of the movie if not more yeah. wow well, yeah you know he i think he just thought of it as part of the performance which uh mikey's great but um yeah and then kind of we had him hold it we did the scene uh i couldn't be anywhere near the scene happening because they were they were free to move the camera wherever they wanted and then Uh, we would have to have our uh my friend drew who owned the mini dv camera convert to digital files before we could even look at dailies so it was this whole like guessing game because the acting and the like the back and forth feels so natural between them like that's the thing that sells me is like you do believe that there are a couple i especially love roger's performance because to me it's a movie about a guy realizing that like he was gaslighting his girlfriend <laughs> right yeah like, that's exactly <laughs> what the film is supposed to be about actually. it's like it's really nice to see a movie about like unfortunately she had to die for him to do that but you know yeah. whatever it takes to get to that self-realization <laughs> moment you know whatever he whatever it takes for him to grow is that that's what matters mm. right um right. yeah yeah that's all that's all them <laughs> like and the twist of your movie is all about helping him grow but i don't want to give that away because obviously this is going to come out um but yeah like that was what really stood out to me is like yeah like you're you're in it with them and i think the dv cam really sells it because there's this like this element of technology the little flip phone and those like little moments where the camera's turning on and off that are really like i hate to say this delightful because it's like nostalgic right it's nostalgic to see that kind of technology and you shot in four by three or at least you edited in four by three so you're like making all these Mm -hmm. intentional choices to make it feel like it came out in the year that signs did um (laughs) did you realize that no you're calling me out you're calling me out right now i have some calling out like truly to do about this movie but i want to get back into signs like besides the score besides the fact that you have this like childhood emotional connection like why is this movie worth watching right now I just think that we have gotten so far from like the world where this is the highest grossing film at the box office. It's kind of baffling to me that a low concept alien movie uh, with Mel Gibson was the highest grossing or one of the highest grossing films of 2002. Uh, and now, you know, it's it's all I, I mean, I, I love superhero movies. I love the MCU. I'm all for it. But like, it's so predictable these days. I feel like what is going to be crushing the box office uh, and and just, you know, when's the last time a fully original film sci fi film was the number one film at the box office? I don't know. Interstellar. Like, I just think it's so. you actually probably do know the answer to this, but. I mean, technically, Marvel I... movies count. Like Guardians of the Galaxy right. would probably be the most true, recent true. one. But like for me, the but... ones that were like the standouts would be like Arrival, Annihilation, 
Um, but neither right. none of them were like the blockbuster yet. This movie was a blockbuster. It cost seventy million to make, yeah. made four hundred million, tapped into the very untapped Christian market, right? Like mm-hmm. the Christian market is so underserved in the mainstream media. I can't believe I'm saying that, but it's true. Like it's straight up true. Like there's just there's a dearth of those films. I don't know if M Night Shyamalan was just out trying to make a buck because when he get interviewed, he's like, I'm not very, I'm not very religious, but I'm very spiritual. I'm like, what? <laughs> what is happening? Well, like, only a few years later would he cast himself as the Messiah in Lady in the Water. So you yeah, know, that's true. He, He's very spiritual. He did go down this He's this little uh, religious. Path. Yeah, um, but like he tapped into something that was. I mean, like it was shown at my youth group as a way to prove that Halloween was a bad thing for some reason. I don't know how those two things are created, but like this movie mm-hmm. had a like it it had it hit it hit exactly at the right time. Obviously M night didn't write it knowing that it would have this kind of huge impact relating to nine 11. There's a lot, there's a lot to chew on for it being, you know, it's for, for, for all of the flack it's gotten and for it kind of looking like a TV movie sometimes. And like, you know, it's, it's, okay, so, uh, it's an enigma. So you are the one that has defended this movie. So many people, the main issue is that yes, that how can aliens, that have technology to travel through space, not be able to detect water, and not be able to get through wooden boards that are nailed on a, t- on a tree. Like, I don't understand that. Like, how does that make sense to you? Um, okay. <laughs> so this is obviously the most, uh, the most complained about aspect of the film. <laughs> uh, <laughs> which, yes. I am not going to sit here and be like, that isn't stupid. If you think that's stupid, if it doesn't work for you, that's fine. The way I've justified it to myself is that the movie does a really good job at not really telling us what these aliens' technology is, what their capabilities are. And you know what? I can kind of buy that aliens exploring the universe land on a planet and don't know that it's made up 70% of the one thing that can kill them, you know? And, you know, I, I don't know if I could get through a, a, a door if I needed to. <laughs> so I'm thinking these aliens are just as strong as me, and that's why <laughs> it works. They look buff. This is what I have a lot well, of, yeah, they look, a lot Okay, of so about. I don't look buff, but, you know. Whoa, I didn't mean it like that. <laughs> I didn't mean like that. I'm kidding. But like the kidding. that that part really bothers people. But it's not. It's obviously more about symbolism, right? Because Abigail Breslin, who is the most adorable child of all time in this movie, like yes. like I, I, there are a few scenes where I was like, I almost felt like it was exploitative how cute she was. She's like, why mm-hmm. don't they have girlfriends? I was like, oh my gosh, wow! Like she, whew, that is <laughs> my peak. favorite. Is my favorite is uh, there's a monster outside my room. Can I have a glass of water? <laughs> So he has a he has a thing so about that. I read about that. Hold on, water. People that are able to hyper this is this is M Night, of course. People that are able to hyper hyper compartmentalize. It seems like a superpower because he was talking about how he can never do that. But I'm the opposite. So when I drop something, like a line comes out of Bo that says, "Can I have a glass of water?" There's a monster outside my room. I wrote that line to talk about how children think so fast, right? Like they just. It's one idea to the next, one idea to the next. There, can I have a glass of water? There's a monster outside my room. Well, why does she want a glass of water? In the movie about everything having meaning, what is that? So you keep thinking about it, like, and it unfolds, and it unfolds. And this word engineering, it's a lack of compartmentalizing that everything you touch, every line, every choice spreads through the movie and affects everything. 
what I'm hearing from that is that he got the idea to do the water thing from that line. <laughs> but anyway, it upset Maybe. a lot of people. It upset a lot of people because it feels like a huge yep. letdown because the movie is like got this incredible buildup. And then it's like, oh, you just splash some water on them. And they're like, ah, um, mm-hmm. yeah, that's definitely not. But for some reason, I enjoyed watching this about 500 times more than watching War of the Worlds. So got to give it some credit. Mm. Right? War of the Worlds, not fun to that's rewatch. One of the, that's one of the Spielbergs I haven't seen. You're talking Not about fun the to rewatch. Version, right? I am, of course. Yes, the original's fine, because yeah. um, it's an uh, radio podcast. <laughs> 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 Actually, no, it's based on yeah, based on Jules Verne book. But anyway, I just thought like, yeah, like you don't. So the answer is you don't defend it. Is that what I'm hearing? <laughs> <laughs> um, I do not hold it against anyone who can't get over that. But me, you know knowing Shyamalan loving Shyamalan knowing how much he values symbolism and metaphors and possibly sometimes lets that get in the way of what is realistic and feasible in his actual storylines I can't I can't fault him for that personally because I'm guilty of the same things I def- there's aspects of for Roger where I definitely let the the metaphor get in the way of what the the actual storyline is doing so uh maybe i maybe i give him some some leeway because i tend to do the same things and it's okay to give movies leeway this movie's really fun Mm. acting's really strong like you've got to give it credit for being gripping all the way through right like Mm. there's a lot of benefit here and and it's just funny that people that doing something like this that can make people so angry and you have so much emotion that can overweigh a lot of other things um no this movie takes place mostly in the daytime of course there are some scary scenes with the flashlight at night two that mm-hmm. i can think of one in the cornfield one in the basement your film takes place almost opposite it's like 90 percent at night right mm-hmm. and when i viewed it you had notes to make sure that the screen brightness was turned all the way up like tell me what the challenges are of making a dark film oh my god um there's so many uh i mean most of it is like for anything outside we had to convince people to want to work at night and you know i don't like doing that even when it makes sense um but luckily you know we had our parties afterwards that made it all feel warranted and then we slept in pretty late before we started again uh so that made it worth it um but and you know a lot of stuff inside was we just blacked out windows and like did what we could um but i always wanted the I do most of my thinking at night. I get really in my head at night and I regret the most things at night. You know, I feel like nighttime is, especially when you're alone is not only a scary place to be in general, it's a scary place to be alone in your thoughts. Um, and so I really just wanted, it, it needed to take place at night just cause you know, I respect a horror movie that takes place during the day. This uh, Texas chainsaw midsummer, like if you can scare me during the day, man, you are a master it's, so true. it's like it's like to me it's the equivalent of if you can be a stand-up comedian who doesn't cuss it's like wow how are you even doing this right yeah now? yeah yeah so i you know but for me my first horror outing and just like what the story called for uh i wanted to do it at night um and yeah i i'm happy with you know the the aesthetics of it i think the nighttime plays well <laughs> that was a non-answer <laughs> no i think i think like m night was talking about when they first shot 
that opening scene that they had to do night nights night shots and he's like i had to spend a couple days just like getting my body prepared to be up at night people don't realize like you have an entire crew and you're asking them to stay up until 4 Mm a.m multiple days in a row that's really brutal on your body you know yeah Um, but also like most i i respect that most of this film is as dark as things at night right like i think the lighting it seemed like did you do a lot of just like natural lighting how much did you do like uh, we we did we did a Diagenic. lot of lighting we, we, we did a, a lot of lighting but it was just like yeah to make it look like there was minimal lighting uh because if uh, we hadn't lit it you would not have been able see to anything. see anything yeah it, it's dark in that cabin the dark. only like the only lights in that cabin are those lights you see around the the bar and that's like what we have to work with and yeah we without we motivated most of our lighting from that source but you know, especially lighting, like, when the power goes out, lighting that stuff was was insanely difficult. Yeah, people don't realize how much work goes into making something look like there isn't any work put into it. Um, for those who yeah. are listening to this who don't know, like, movie language, what does motivated lighting mean? Uh, just, like, you pick a source, and then you're doing a bunch of your own lighting to make it look like the light coming from there is, I guess stronger i know that's probably a bad way to put it but like it's like it's like you're lighting to make it look like the light is coming from something in the shot like a light but bulb you obviously like can't have right yeah but you can't have your lights in the shot so you're kind of just like tweaking it until it looks unnoticeable you're listening to they came from outer space here on wir lp 97.3 fm I'm Cameron Kitt here with Aaron Bartuska talking about signs, talking about lighting, talking about how we make films, and breaking down this classic M. Night Shyamalan flick from 2002. Amman in Nairobi, Bangalore, and Jerusalem as the Same shows on every station. Every station? It is the 18th reported crop sign in that country in the last 72 hours. Why is this movie valuable now? Why is this movie valuable now? That's such mm-hmm. a good question. I mean, mm-hmm. I feel like I'm an old soul, so I don't know if it's valuable now. You don't get to say but... old soul if the movie takes place in 2002. <laughs> I'm a, <laughs> I'm an early aughts soul. Thank you. <laughs> uh... <laughs> um, but I just think that you know. It's such a, it seems like such a simpler time that this movie existed in, mm-hmm. where it's just like, you know, uh, first of all, we were all still okay with Mel Gibson, you know, that's not a thing he's anymore. He's such a freak, I'm sorry, he's, he's such a freak. He sucks, he sucks. But in this movie, I look at him and I want to cry, because he's playing such a good dad, and he's like, I don't know. Ugh. Well, I know. I mean, yeah, obviously, like I can't I unsee. Like every time he's like thinking deeply, he's like, it's like he's trying to make this a globalist conspiracy. But that's just because I know who he is. Yes, the acting <laughs> right. is fine. Yo, I don't know how to answer your question, dude. I just love signs so much. I'm not hearing a very strong. <laughs> <reason>. <laughs> look, look, look. <laughs> I, it's not. It's not every day that we get a family friendly movie that is also horrifying oh oh i think that has a lot of value yeah you know what it does really well that i think everyone needs to learn from so like any good horror movie needs humor you need one joke minimum i love humor in this movie the humor in this movie is so good there are so many moments where i like couldn't be mad about it like there's so much visual humor the famous one is 
when the kids have the little cone head tinfoil hats on and then when you come back in Joaquin Phoenix has it and he's staring at them like he has regressed back to childhood and like the funny thing is like uh, uh Rory Culkin who is off-brand Macaulay Culkin I think it's his older brother or younger brother um is like the adult in the room at all times throughout the whole film like he's mm-hmm. the one who's like actively like researching thinking looking ahead like rationalizing calming others like while while the both the other adults are just kind of helplessly wandering like it's so interesting to me <laughs> like, he's like, i would argue that i would argue that joaquin phoenix does has maybe one serious line in the entire film <laughs> towards the yeah, end yeah this and is a boy it. who like considers not getting thrown up on a miracle <laughs> like an actual <laughs> yeah. miracle that's um, one of my favorite scenes ever in a movie ever is that the scene. part really his only value is to swing a bat real hard right like anyway yeah. yes he does a good job Felt playing wrong kind of not a... to swing yeah swing away <laughs> <laughs> i love this swing movie away. so much everyone it, should love this movie <laughs> it builds up but like the the humor is such a necessary thing that makes it work like you need to know if you're out making horror films if you don't have a joke to cut the tension it becomes too tense and this is something people mm-hmm. don't realize like if you've ever been sitting in a horror movie it doesn't even have to be funny it just has to be there and the entire audience will laugh to break the tension because that's how we are as humans right so like mm-hmm. some of the stuff that abigail breslin says isn't even that funny but you laugh because you're tense about the aliens um yeah it's the same reason why i mentioned it already but it's why midsummer works so well it's like that's like a funny movie there are funny parts that's it has so, so many funny parts so what would you I, say? Yeah, I, I think there's so much value in humor and horror they go it's the two ends of things the the mm. most we emote in films is is when we're scared or when we're la- when we're laughing you know that's those are like the two mm. most extreme reactions you can have in a movie going experience and I think balancing those, juggling those is just like, it makes sense. It makes sense to put those together. I think it's, yeah. it's Well, it's more like we great. need them together, right? Yeah. Like we have gallows mm-hmm. humor. We need them. I don't know if we need darkness for humor to work, but often it does. Oh, no. Mm, yeah. There's some really funny parts. What, now you've screened for Roger. You've watched it with an audience a couple of times. Are there places where you know the laugh is going to happen and it happens? Or are there more places where the laugh happens where you weren't expecting it? So there are some places, uh, especially in the dialogue scenes where we were going for a laugh and and it lands. And that's always like nice to see. There's a quick, there's a quick cut after uh, Mikey as Roger is saying, like, like hyping himself up that he was like working out a lot. And it just like cuts off almost like us as an audience is like, okay, we heard enough of that. That always gets a pretty good laugh, which is cool. And then there's also just some stuff that we didn't execute that well that gets a laugh and i'm all for that man it was like one of my first films uh i think that's funny. there's like there's a part where i guess this is a little bit of a spoiler but someone gets hit with something and then just kind of falls over and doesn't move for like five seconds and it's funny and i didn't think about that when i was making the film and i'm fine with people laughing at it because it is funny um but definitely not intentional Oh, yeah. Uh, so I don't know. Yeah, I, there's there's only a couple parts where people laugh, but it, it, um, the more fun part is hearing like the hooting and hollering, like when like that chase sequence stuff starts to happen, or like when a couple people in the audience notice uh, one of the background uh, scares we were going for that don't really call attention. I kept trying to, to find them. Did I you? Not, find you them. didn't have your brightness turned all the way. Up. I had it all the way up. <laughs> 
headed all the way up. Um, well, there's a couple little little things. That I just think hide. it's so cool that you like have made an entire feature. It's good that you really used all the like resources you had available to you. But the reason I think it works is it's so simple. Like very few actors, very specific location, not mm. a lot going on. Not and like you're managing to get these beautiful shots that come from being out in the woods when it's like sunset, right? So you're working in all this mm. like beauty subtly. It's great. Like the more have you do you know about the rule of constraints? Like the more constraints that you put on a project, the more constraints you put on yourself, the more creative the brain becomes. So like the oh, more yeah, rules yeah. you can add, like the more like only two actors, only this one location, only this story, like that allows you to have a lot more freedom because otherwise your brain's like four thousand dollars. Exactly. Exactly. How do we get creative? <laughs> you know, and so while yeah. this movie did not have the did not have a budget constraint, you know, seventy million dollars, it's amazing. To be honest. I'm surprised he spent that much money. Maybe it was just that CGI cost that much back then, right? Like, uh, yeah, it doesn't should... look like a seventy million dollar movie at all. It definitely doesn't, but it's really strong all the way through. Yes, the plot has gets people angry, but like the you know, as this being a sci-fi podcast, I think that's the part that let me down. Is like I'm interested in the aliens. I want to see what they're doing. I want to know about them. Like I want to hear. I want to mm-hmm. see the movie from their perspective. This movie is not about that. It's about faith. It's no. about family. It's about Mel Gibson. It's about Mel Gibson's relationship with God. That's what this movie's about. Yes. Yes. Do you have like weird... Rep- um, have you had people come up to you with like really weird readings of your film? Um. Yes. So uh, a lot... Well, a lot of people think... This is going to get into spoilers. Is that an issue? Uh, <laughs> basically, the reading of the whole f- end of the film is that it could be happening in Roger's mind. Uh, which I think is a, I, I think that's awesome. Uh, I, I, we were definitely going for a more up for interpretation film than just a straightforward film. And we definitely wanted this person outside to be um, more of an idea of something than an actual presence, uh, but never really fleshed that out too fully. Um, and then one day after a test screening, someone came up to me and they were like, your movie reminded me a lot of Fight Club. I was like, what? I was like, what do you mean? And then they explained it to me, and I was like, oh yeah, I guess that kind of tracks. That's a really kind That's thing cool. to say. Yeah, I like that I a lot because the way it the way it builds up, it does really feel like that. Like it's about his processing what he lost. Mm-hmm. That's really cool. Okay, so we're coming up on the end. Signs, yes, controversial, good, also good. Yeah, totally weird. Absolutely, it's an M Night movie, you know. But what can this movie teach us as filmmakers, especially from a low budget perspective? You know, M. Night, he wasn't making a low budget film, but like, what can we as filmmakers take away from this movie, Aaron? Well, yeah, I think I think that I already took a a lot away from it with with the film that we've been discussing uh, for this hour. Uh, I definitely, you know, wanted to take uh, a genre that I love and do it from kind of an interior perspective with with minimal characters and that's what Shyamalan did that's what Shyamalan does you know he did a he started out with a with a um uh, very human ghost story and then he did a very restrained superhero film and then Mm -hmm. he did his family drama alien film Mm -hmm. and then you know I think from that point on it started going downhill a little bit to where he's (laughs) kept trying to do that but in ways that didn't really make as much sense or just work as well. Mm -hmm. Um, 
but I think, yeah, if there's anything you can take away from it is that, like, you can do genre without having to do all of the expensive mm. things that a lot of genres do, you know? Like, mm. I, we, we even, we, we, I don't know if I can say this, but we met at the screening of, uh, what was it called? Codependent uh, Lesbian Space Alien Seek Same, which is such a good yes. movie. Yes. Madeline Such Olnick a good is actually movie. coming on next. She's my next guest. Uh, and that's great. That's awesome. Like I'm excited. Two or three weeks. Very excited to listen to that. But yeah, it, it, like that was another one where I was just like, anyone can do a genre movie. Like you don't need a million dollars to make, yeah. even though even though Shyamalan did have seventy million. I mean, he like, did have seventy. No, you're so right. And I think that's the problem is you tend to get stuck in this trapping of like, well, I'm gonna need to do a lot of CGI. I'm gonna need to have a huge huge budget. And then you watch you watch something like The Twilight Zone, and you're like, well, technically, you yeah. just need some actors in a room, and the human mm-hmm. mind can fill in the rest. If you say there's aliens out there, my human brain's gonna be like, oh, okay, all right. Sure. I guess there's got to be aliens out there. There's some aliens out there. They look real scared. Well, Aaron, this has been so awesome. Tell tell us, like, where can we find you in your work and what do you have coming up next? Uh, Yeah, sure. So uh, most of my work is on Vimeo. Uh, It's vimeo.com slash page 34. Uh, That's my production company, page 34 productions. Um, You can also find my stuff on YouTube if you just search my name, Aaron Bartuska um follow me on instagram bartuska aaron uh follow me on letterboxd uh i love letterboxd i actually don't know what my at is though but if you ever want to know what i'm thinking of movies uh follow me on letterboxd yeah their last name is b-a-r-t-u-s-k-a and what are you working on right now Right now, I, I just produced a action comedy short film that is coming out in wow. a couple weeks cool. uh that's that's a fun one uh has a lot of uh four roger crew and cast crossover which is fun uh and then i'm also in the process of writing co-writing two features that i plan to make this year uh if oh, all my gosh. works out the way that uh we want it to so those are those are what's on the agenda for me and then just trying to you know produce more shorts anything my friends want to make i want to i want to produce it so that's so cool Aaron. well i love to see i can't wait to see what you make next and thank you so much for coming on this episode of uh, they came from outer space thank you for having me don't be afraid they're in the house here it comes don't be afraid 